Well, blessings to you all and glad to see you today. It's good to see anybody today, I guess, as they close the Filer School District down because of COVID again and uh, all these things. You know, it's it's kind of funny living in the last days. You know, we talked about it for probably, if you've been a Christian, any length of time, you've always... Well, if you were asleep, you're not now. Okay. If you have your Bible, open them to the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at chapter 18 today. No, you know, we're, we're living in a very different time right now than any other time. And um, we, we have, uh, uh, in the medical field, of course, there's a, uh, anymore, we don't know who to believe. You hear the government say one thing, and then they change their mind, and then change their mind. And anybody here, if you've ever listened to um, Fauci, uh, changed his mind with the wind concerning masks and concerning social distancing and all these different things that are going on. And we look and see that the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that there's going to be problems among nations. There's going to be perplexity among nations. And the word perplexity in the original language really means problems with no way out. And I see that right now in the world that we're in. We're in a world that has changed, has morphed dramatically from even five years ago. We're seeing a world now that is going to be unstable like we've never seen instability before. We just equipped the uh, the Taliban with um, $100 billion worth of America's most sophisticated weapons. They are a sworn enemy of the United States and the free world. They're reinstituting now public amputations the Taliban has, taking women out of schools and removing them and putting them back into uh, uh, the Stone Age, basically. We see the, uh, the global issues of men, and people don't really know what to do about that. My uh, answer for them and for all of us is God's word remains faithful to us. You know, that's one of the reasons why heaven and earth, Jesus said, will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And that's why we want to endeavor to know what God's word says, to know how things operate, to know how things are, rather than the way society says that. For the last 30, 50 years, the school system in America has taught people what to think not how to think. And there's a big difference, everyone, because one deals with brainwashing, the other one deals with quantitative thinking. In 1957, a Chevrolet owner's manual in your car told you how to set the valves in your engine. You say, Mike, why is that so important? Our manuals today tell us, do not drink the acid in the batteries. Do you think we've experienced what's called the dumbing down of America? I believe we've seen a dumbing down of the world. You see, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you don't know truth, you can believe a lie. And again, one of the most important things for us to know is what God's truth is. Now, God's word, his truth, comes through his word, not... (coughs) Not through flowery sermons, 
Not through positive confession, not through motivational speaking, not through um, climbing to the top, but God's truth is integrated into his word. When the Hebrews would read scripture, they would read the Bible and they believed that the word of God is as alive as any one of us in this room today. Now, just because it didn't have blood and corpuscles and veins didn't mean that it wasn't alive. And that's why the Bible tells us, thy word is a light to my feet and a lamp into my path. Why does it say that? Because the word of God is alive. Because it contains the very heart of God. The very heart of God is in his word. And when we're taught his word, that element of God becomes fused to our soul and helps us to know how to live each day. In other words, it would be nice that you could just live on flowery, pumped up sermons, but you can't. We need the entire counsel of God's word. Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yet today, no one knows God's word. People say, well, what's wrong with the world today? People haven't been taught the Bible. And people have gotten conditioned to not hear God's word. And that's a real problem, everyone. And that's why we need to know what God's word says. Why is that? Because it tells us how to deal with issues in our life. Now, believe me, every one of us listening, everyone in this room, we're going to have issues in our life. And how do you deal with it? Well, I run to Ann Landers, or I run to my friends, or I listen to the songs on the radio for my inspiration. You're in trouble. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Oh, how's that working out for you? You see, this is the whole way that we think in a world that doesn't know God. So as we look at God's word today, you're going to begin to see some amazing things again on interpersonal relationships. You heard about that? You see, if you ever noticed, we're in a society today that doesn't know how to communicate anymore. You ever go out on, with somebody on a Friday night or a Saturday night, and you'll see a, a finely dressed couple and they'll be sitting there at the table. They're not talking to each other. They're doing this on their computer, on their little handheld phone. They don't talk. I'm not so sure that he's not texting her and she's not texting him. Because we don't know how to communicate anymore. Well, the Bible tells us to communicate, forget not. God's word tells us how to be mindful of the things we need to be mindful of. And the things that aren't important, let them go. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and inspire us and give us that wisdom that comes from you. And so as we look at this today, help us understand the importance of interpersonal relationships, delegating authority, what to look for in quality in people as we would choose them for position or for friends or for spouses or for business partners, God. May we glean from your word today and may you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week or the week before, I was busy falling down the stairs uh, last uh, Sunday morning. 
I, I, I got sick and uh, 24-hour flu. And I was going downstairs and I passed out going down the stairs and I went rolling, tumbling all the way down to the bottom of the stairs. And I hit my chin right here on the stairs. I wanted to tell everybody how this is black and blue so you didn't think my wife did that to me. So I, I wanted to make sure about that. But the point is, is that God's word tells us what we need to do. We remember as the children of Israel come out of Egypt... They got not only the attention of the Egyptians as they were destroyed in the Red Sea, but they also got the attention of other nations round about them as they're on their trek to the promised land. And Amalekites were one of those groups of people. Now we remember that Moses went up in the mountain with Aaron and his brother-in-law and somebody named her. You've heard of a boy named Sue. Well, here's a guy named her. Anyway, it's in chapter 17. And as long as Moses' arms were uplifted, Joshua fighting the king of the Amalekites down below would win. When he'd lower his hands down, the Amalekites would begin to win. Now, I believe it's a picture type of really what we go through in life. We need people that are going to hold up our hands in troubled times. We're going to need to have people hold up our hands when we're involved in big battles. Now, sometimes it'll be somebody you know, like an Aaron, your brother-in-law, a family member. But sometimes it may be somebody like a herd that we really don't know who, who her is. But her was very important in holding up Moses' other hand. Sometimes God will use people you know to help you. Sometimes he'll bring new people in your life to help you. But nevertheless, remember this. You're not saved to set and you're not saved and you're all alone. God has put you in a family to be a part and to do what he's called you to do. Now, as we look at this, we find in verse 1 of chapter 18... And Jethro, not of the Beverly Hillbillies. Jethro, by the way, a lot of people make fun of that. But you know, Jethro is actually a biblical name. And Jethro, from what we can tell, was probably in some way a relative, a distant relative of Abraham. And he knew who God was. And the Bible says he was a high priest. It doesn't say he was a false priest. It says that he knew who God was. And Moses married Zephorah, his daughter, or perhaps his sister. It's unclear in the Hebrew whether it was his father-in-law or his brother-in-law. But it appears it's probably his father-in-law. Let's read. Jethro. The priest of Midian. Now, Midian is the backside of the wilderness where Moses fled after he'd killed the Egyptian guard, remember? And he he went for 40 years and hid out on the backside of the wilderness till he saw the burning bush. But there, while he was in the land of Midian, he married a girl named Zephorah. And Zephorah was a person from that area, and it says... Moses' father-in-law, and again, this might also in the original language mean brother-in-law, but I I lean towards the word father-in-law, as we'll read on, we'll see why. Heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and the Lord brought out Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Sephora, 
Moses's wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, whom the names were Grissom, which means I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, this is interesting to me because of a couple of things. Number one, it seems that Moses, when he was running from Pharaoh, he was on the backside of the wilderness by the name that I was a stranger in a strange land. You know, it's funny that sometimes we go through dry places in our Christian experience. It's nice when we see and we pray and God answers our prayer and we go, oh, hallelujah. And we have a little breakdown hallelujah dance because when we pray, it happens so quick. But then there's those dry times we go through where we pray, nothing seems to happen. And we pray more and nothing seems to happen. And pretty soon you say, well, God, where are you? I believe this is probably a little bit of what Moses went through because of what he named his his child. That I was a stranger in a strange land. It doesn't sound like he had the victory right there, but the name of his second son that God gave me victory over Pharaoh. Now, something important to remember is his name didn't mean that God gave me victory over Pharaoh after all the 10 plagues of Egypt. It was that God gave me victory over Pharaoh because I was allowed to live in Midian away from Pharaoh. See, God had not raised Moses up yet, but he named his kid. God gave me victory over Pharaoh because he was allowed to be alive. When Moses killed the Egyptian guard and the people of Israel narked him off, they're the ones that said, hey, Moses killed the Egyptian guard. And they came looking for Moses. Moses realized he was found out. He packed up. He got out of out of Egypt as quickly as he could. But God gave him victory over Pharaoh in that Pharaoh didn't kill him. Now, as we look at this, this is what he names his kids. By the way, in the ancient and even today in some cultures, people name their children after events. When I was in Tonga, I met a girl. She was probably about 30 years old. Her name was Telephone. I thought that was weird. I've heard girls being on telephones, but not a girl named Telephone. But they named their children after events. And that's when telephones came to the island. I named, I, I, I met a, a man and his name was, was Big Wind. And that's when the hurricane came. And they, this family came by uh, this, this place where we were staying, this newborn baby, only a couple of days old. And they said, this is our daughter, Radio Atomoto. And I go, what does that mean? And she goes, voice of the islands. Because that's when we turn the Christian radio station on. They named their child after that event. So people in these days and all the way through the Bible, names were extremely important because a lot of times it signified a major event that was going on. And so he says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped, the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, 
I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife, your two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, kissed him, and they asked each other about being uh, well-being and went into the tent. By the way, this is significant. This is a good thing. Remember, uh, if you know people that are going to get married, remember you marry their family. A lot of times you think, well, their family hates me, but she likes me. It'll all be okay. It's really important you marry people that your in-laws like you because in-laws can become outlaws and this is a real problem. You marry the family. And one of the things here you find that Moses had a respect for Jethro. Jethro had a respect for Moses. And I believe that's very significant in that they were able to fellowship and have communion together. Verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law all the things that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and all the things that happened to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Remember, this is Moses and Israel's testimony. You have one too. Never forget that of all the things that God has done for you. I've had a lot of people say, you know, you hear oftentimes, well, share your faith, be a witness, tell people about God. Well, I don't know. I'm not a Bible theologian. I have been saved that long. I don't know all the things the Bible says. All I can tell you is this. Then share what you do know. Share what God has done for you. How he took you from being mumbled, stumbling, bumbling around in the world and giving you a destiny to serve him, be about your father's business and have an eternal reward. See, in other words, share what you know, share what God's given you. Something that you have that no one can ever take away from you is your personal testimony. That's what God did for you in your life. And you can share that with other people. Interestingly enough, as we read this right here, this is one of the things that Moses was showing Jethro. Now, remember this. Jethro knew about God. Jethro was considered a high priest, but he really didn't, I believe, have the depth of understanding who God is like Moses does. You're going to find that every day in your life. You're going to find people that you're going to rub elbows with at work that know maybe about God. They may have a concept of God. And by the way, how people get their concepts of God are as broad as the world is, whether it's formed by television or formed by perhaps a church they were raised in, even if it was a cult. They're going to have some concept of a supreme being. I believe one of the things that God uses you and me is to clarify who that supreme being is. And all the way through the Bible, you'll find that Paul, the apostle, he is a minister. He's reaching out to people. He had some time to kill. He goes up to Mars Hill and there, there was a bunch of latte coffee drinkers. This is a mic paraphrase. Okay. But they're up on a hill and there's a bunch of philosophizing, psychedelicizing up there on top of the hill, all talking about gods. They had all these statues to all their different gods. And they had this one to the unknown God. Paul came and he said, I see you're all very religious people. They had an idea of religion. They had all these things. 
But he said, you have this one to the unknown God. This is the one I want to declare to you. What his purpose was, was to clarify to them who the real God is. Remember, tomorrow, this afternoon, you're going to be around people who have a concept of God, but do not know God. They have an understanding that there's a supreme being, but they don't know what he wants. He doesn't know. And it's amazing to me how many people believe God is angry at them. You know, chucking lightning bolts and all these different things. God's not angry at the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. People don't understand that. That God wants to be an intricate part of their life to reach out to them, to help them in these very days and very times of trouble. Now, again, Moses used what God had done for him to communicate to Jethro, regardless of where Jethro's understanding of God was. Do you catch that? In other words, they don't have to come up to your level for you to share what God's done to them. You you share what God has done for you. Let them ask the questions. You'll see this. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And by the way, friends, Egypt at that time was the most powerful country in the world. And here is a God with a guy named Moses doing absolutely phenomenal things. And God delivers Egypt into Moses' hands, literally. And so he says, blessed be the Lord God who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and out of delivered you from under the hand of the Egyptians. Verse uh, verse 11. Now, now notice this, verse 11, so important. If you like to underline things in your Bible, this is a good one to underline. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they ha- behaved proudly, he was above them. They behaved proudly, but he was above them. He says, now I know. Do, do you see, God's demonstration of power in Moses' life was the very thing that convinced Jethro, who was a priest who knew about God, had a concept of God, but now, because of Moses' testimony, it's bringing clarity to who the real God is. And it's really important because, again, you, the Bible says, are his poema. You are his handiwork. You are his poetry. And people see God in you. And friends, that's really important because, you know, somebody said one time, witness every day and if necessary, use words. It's because people see God in you and you help redefine who God is to them. Jethro had a concept of who God was. He was a priest. 
But he didn't know God like Moses did. And because of Moses' faithfulness, he was able to communicate the faithfulness of God to Jethro. And Jethro's life changed. Now I know, in verse 11. Verse 12. Then Jethro... Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering, sacrifices to God. Aaron came with him and all the elders of Israel to eat the bread which Moses' father-in-law before the Lord. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from the morning until evening. Now it's interesting here that after this great uh, revelation, all the people begin to come to Moses. Now you got to remember, there's about a million uh, people that came out of Egypt. Some put it between one and three million. A lot of people. Moses is the only one that was recognized by the people of having any authority at all. So if you have a problem, you got to go see Mo. Yeah, he took my axe, or you know, he took my tent, or or you know, hey, my my goat wandered over into his tent, and now he thinks it's his goat. Mo, what do we do? So Moses is using God's law, God's wisdom, in deciphering what's good and what's bad. Now, here, friends, again, is an important issue in our society today. Because a person knows God, the Spirit of God dwells within you and gives you an understanding of what's right and wrong. Have you noticed that God is not in our society and we no longer know what is right from wrong anymore? That's why That's why it's important that we know who God is. Because it isn't just that I know God, but that when we say I know God, God knows us. And it's not just a, oh, uh, I'll talk to you far off somewhere, God, wherever you're hanging out there beyond the stars. God says, no. As a matter of fact, I will come and live inside of you. And we have a sense then of God's presence in our life so that we know what is acceptable and unacceptable to God. The nation of Israel, as we have studied already, even though they came out of Egypt, Egypt didn't come out of them. And they were murmuring and complaining. Um, I I, I often think Moses should have had a band, went on tour called Moses and the Bellyachers, because they were always complaining as they were, no matter what they did. Though they were with someone who knew God, they didn't know God. And because of that, they couldn't discern among simple things to know what's right and what is wrong. And so it was, Moses sat to judge the people. And here they all start lining up to to solve their problems. Now, this tells me there's going to be problems, whether you were in days of Moses or today, But we know that, again, God is the one that gives us the wisdom to work through it. And so he says here, on the next day, well, verse 14, so it was Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people. And he said, this thing that you are doing for the people, what is this? Why do you sit alone and the people stand before you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. 
And when there is a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses, his father-in-law said to him, the thing which you are doing is not good. Whoa. Now, look at this. God just used Moses in a great and mighty way. God just used Moses to bring clarity to Jethro who God really is. Jethro, looking at Moses now, looks at him and he sees all these people line up and all Moses does all day long from morning till evening is say, next, okay, what's happened? He took my goat, okay, give him his goat back, okay, next. And this is all he did. And Jethro said, what you're doing is not good. Now, what does that tell you? First of all, just because we're believers in God doesn't mean we can't err. And I think that's important to remember. Number two, some things that are very clear to others are not clear to us. Thank God for the body of Christ. Again, it's more than just, you know, um, um, uh, you know, a friendship thing. But it's that we, we actually can learn from one another. Now, remember, God used Moses in this great and mighty way to stand up to Pharaoh to, to deliver the children of Israel. And then Jethro comes along, you might say a new believer, or at least a corrected believer, and says to Moses, what you're doing isn't good. Why is that? Because you see, Moses was taking on too much on himself. You know, the Bible says that we're the family of God and we need to rely on the family of God. Moses is doing it all. And instead, and what I really liked about this, and you're going to read this here in the next few verses. Moses didn't look at Jethro and say, Jethro, why don't you just go back and leave me alone? I, 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 I'm fine. I'm doing okay here. Just shut up. All right. But what's amazing, he listened to what his father-in-law said. Now you say, well, why is that important? Because I don't care how great God will use a person, use you, your successes, all the things that God has brought you through. Remember, we're never beyond the place of the ability to learn. The, Bi- the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man that lived. But meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means he was still able to be taught. Not only by God, but by others as well. Oftentimes, success goes to people's heads. Hey, I'm the head kahuna. I don't got to listen to anybody else. This is a dangerous place to be. And many famous people have hit the dirt because they fail to realize you still need others' input because you can't see it all yourself. Now, we have other words for it today. In our society, we use the word intervention. Well, this person's really got a drug problem and they don't know they got a drug problem. Hey, dude, why don't you come over tonight for a cup of coffee? Okay, so he comes over and he walks into a room filled with people that say, you're a bozo. No, I mean, that's kind of the, kind of what it is. 
They, they get the guy there and they surprise him because it's not cup of coffee. It's an intervention where everybody's going to rapid fire down on him and basically say, well, we love you, but here's some issues that you need to deal with in your life. The ability to learn, friends, is not something you get to a certain age or a certain success level and you don't need to learn anymore. I think a lot of people have that happens in their Christian experience. I believe they go, well, God's given me these victories. I'm good. I'm good to go. Hey, listen, that's just the beginning of what God endeavors to show us the rest of our life. And so he said, the things that you're doing are not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you, and you are not able to perform it by yourself. It's too much for you. You know, sometimes you want to listen to others. Sometimes if they say, hey, this is getting a little bit overwhelming here, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I still believe ultimately you got to go to God and find out what God has to say about it. But don't discount what others may say. Now, yes, it is true. Some people are extremely critical. They find nothing good that you do. They don't even see the great things that God has done in your life. And they are basically hypercritical. And you want to be very careful of those kind of people because they have an agenda. They've got a a sinister uh, line in the background that they're trying to do. But when you find somebody that genuinely cares about you, and right by the way, remember this in the Bible, even when Jesus, the Apostle Paul, would address people, he would first list the good things that they did to take them off of the defense. I know your works. I know how you do this. I know how you do this. But I have this against you, as Jesus would say in Revelations 2 and 3 to the churches. He would recognize what they did, but I got some corrective advice for you here. And this is what Paul did. And actually for Jesus, it's not advice. It was a command. But when we look at it, we realize that we have to be sensitive and listen, because again, there is more than our perspective of life. There's God's. And so he says, he goes, listen now to my voice, verse 19. And I will give you counsel that God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so you may being, uh, bring the difficulties to God. Oh, now there it is. Bring the difficulties to God. You've been bringing them to me, a man, but I want to reprogram you all to think I want you to bring your problem to God. I like that. Now, again, because when we realize that we're just a passing through, God may give us wisdom or whatever, but ultimately we need to bring our problems, our difficulties to God. Verse 20, and you shall teach them the statutes and laws and show them the way in which they must walk with the work they must do. Why is that? Then they can determine what's right and wrong. Now, isn't it funny today that is lacking in our society, good isn't all that good, bad isn't all that bad, it's how you look at it. Well, what's right for you might be right for you and that's good, but it might be wrong for me. 
This is called relativism. It's taught in our schools. The problem is it's a lie. There is absolutes. There is right and wrong. There is what God will bless and what God will punish. And so the problem is today is that we find relativism has replaced truth. And truth is what you need to live on because truth always is standard. People say, well, true might be true to you. Well, you can believe that driving into a brick wall at 100 miles an hour isn't going to hurt you. But the truth is it will kill you. Well, it may kill you, but it won't kill me. Oh, really? This is the danger of relativism. And so this is one of the great problems. So he's saying, if you teach him God's law, if you teach him what the Bible's got to say, they'll be able to make the decisions. They will go back to the ability to think, not what to think. You see, this replaces modernism in our schools, in our churches today. And you shall teach them the statutes, the laws, and show them the way that they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all of the people, and this is a list of qualifications for the men. Now, I think this is really important because here Jethro is saying, these are the people you want in charge. Now, you got to look at that and you got to think about it for a minute. If you're a woman, these are the things that you want in charge concerning a man that you'll marry. If you're in business, these are the things you want to look for in people to help you accomplish what your business is. These are attributes that will help you do a better job in whatever it is that you're called to do. So if you're in a managerial position, these are going to help you. If you're in a friendship situation, these are what you want to look for for friends. If you're in a dating situation, and you have to modify it just a little bit, because if you're a man looking for a wife or a wife looking for a, a woman looking for a husband, but these are the qualities or the attributes that you have to have. Notice what he says. Moreover, this is Jethro telling Moses, these are the people you need to break down your headship into delegating it authority-wise into others. The first thing you want to find is able men. You want to find people with ability. Now, the way you find people with ability is by talking to them. You want to find out where they're coming from. What turns them on? What lights the fire? What, what causes them to get up in the morning? Why do you put your shoes on? All those things. That's what motivates people sometimes. Well, I'm just here to, uh, you know, like get a paycheck, you know, dude. Oh, I wouldn't promote that guy. If you want to promote somebody, you want to say, hey, you're able because you get it. You get what we're doing here. First thing, ability. The second thing he says, able men such as fear God. Wow. So we have able people and then we have people that recognize God in their life. Do you know why it's important to have employees or people in position that recognize God? Because if they're really, if they really recognize God, they're not going to be embezzling from you. 
If they really love God, they're going to be doing what's best for what you pointed them to do. In other words, they're not going to be lying to you. They're not going to be cheating from you. They're not going to be telling you you've got, oh, hey, I'm in the company's doing great. We got 300,000 in the bank when really you got 100,000 in arrears. And you as a, as an owner or whatever going, okay, you know, whatever. They don't fear God. So ability and the recognition that God is observing everything that they're doing. Friends, again, when it comes to a spouse, that's what you want. When it comes to business partners, that's what you want. So he says, able men, such as fear God, the next part here, men of truth. So there is the underlying part of this that says that they're a person of their word. They're, they're truthful. Now, again, those are ingredients that make a good man or a good woman. And when we leave these attributes out of our life, we're going to be imbalanced. Notice the next, hating covetousness. Covetousness. I want what you got, and I'll get it. I want your position, boss. So if I can stab you in the back to get what I want. See, these are all issues. So you have basically the four, I'll just reread them. Ability, fear God, truth, and hate covetousness. Those are important elements in finding people that you would put in authority. And place such over them to be rulers of the thousands, rulers of the hundreds, rulers of the fifties, and rulers of the tens. He's setting up here, this is the way it trickles down. This is the way true government should work. Moses, it's too big for you. What you're doing is not good. It's going to wear you out. It's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your family life too. So you need to delegate and get this. But who you delegate to is just as important as delegating it. Finding those people that will truly watch out for your best interests. Ladies, guys, listen, when it comes to spouses, you want somebody that you know has got your very best interest at heart. Otherwise, they're going to be using you. And this is the problems that we find today. See, that's what I said earlier. Well, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. That is the messed up philosophy of the world. Rather than looking for what God says is a person of value. Verse 22, so once you establish this, the rulers over the thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times, then it will be that every great matter that they shall bring to you, but the small matter they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden for you. And if you do this thing, whoa. So Jethro is saying to Moses now, so if you listen to what I'm telling you, if you'll do this thing, it's going to go well. Is Moses teachable? Now again, Moses was a great leader. 
And the reason why I look at this is Moses, after seeing the power of God, standing before Pharaoh, all the things that God used him, Jethro, get out of here. I'm the head chess here. Shut up when I, when you, you know, I, I, when I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. He didn't do that. Notice it says. So Moses, well, let me back up here. For if you do this thing, God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all the people will go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and then made them heads over the people, over the hundred, over the thousands, over the hundreds, over the fifties, over the tens. And so they judged the people at all times and heard their cases and brought them to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Wow. God just brought Jethro out of nowhere, brought back Zephora, his two sons. Moses ministered to him, but then Jethro ministered to Moses. It's the way God works. You don't ever give that you don't receive. And that's one of the principles and the law of reciprocity that we find in the Bible. Jesus used that illustration over and over again. You go out and plant a a corn in the dirt out here. Harvest time, you don't get one kernel of corn back. You get three years on 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 a corn stock and lots of little kernels. That's the way it works. Whatever we sow, we reap. We need to be mindful of what we do. Remember, what God has done for you stands as an ongoing testimony of the power of God that will change people's thoughts of who God is to the true and living God. And then as God does this, God will use them oftentimes to minister to you in your life. Understanding that God has a principle. God has a purpose. God has an outline. And I realize that we can be um, excited about other things. But the thing is, we won't grow spiritually and we won't mature spiritually if we don't do what God says to do. Moses was a wise man. He listened to what Jethro said. And it took the burden off of Moses, freed him up to once again be the great leader of the people of Israel this morning. If you're not a Christian, you're doing it all yourself. Your life is designed around you. You're in your own reality. God comes along and says, but what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? So the Bible says that if we'll confess our sins, that means living life our way to define life my way and listen to somebody else saying, listen, you're on the wrong road. God then says, I will change your life and give you an eternal reward and eternal life. It's up to you. This is what we all do. But God's word stands true, always will. Now, I got to tell you, I look at a lot of things in my life, and I look at this as corrective internal behavior. And I look at this and I go, wow, God, you know, you're pretty smart. What what you say is true, and I can see how it's true, 
So help me be more like you. God will do that if we'll let him. This morning, if you're not born again, and you're saying, I don't want to live another 10 years like I've just had, or another five years like I've just had, I invite you to pray today. And we're going to pray, and you can ask Christ to come into your life. And then you open yourself up to God ministering to you, bringing in those things into your life that will cause you to grow. And he'll take out of those things out of your life that are causing you to be held back from what he wants to do for you. So we're going to pray right now and you can ask the Lord to come in your life. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus name this morning. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. And your blood covered my sins. And I'm sorry for the foolish way that I've lived. I want to be able to receive from you. I want you to talk to me in my heart. And encourage me each day. I ask you from this day forward that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. That you empower me to be about your will. So that, Lord, I can help others and I can be a blessing to you. So thank you for eternal life. May I spend eternity with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that welcome to God's family.